Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of the Holding Court podcast. Justin and I are here holding it down in week 10, I think it is, of the quarantine. The numbers are so jumbled. I don't know. Episode nine. That's all I know. That's all. It's the only <laughs> number that matters. We actually had someone review the podcast last week and say that, I won't say if, when, positive thinking, when the season starts, would you consider using our intro song as your walk-up song? Is that an option? Our intro? Yeah. The boom, 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 boom. God, you're not, you just gave away the secret that it's you on there, that you're doing the bass on there. If the people didn't know, now they know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would you consider doing using an original? It, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe when we hit like 25,000 listeners or something, you can toss it in there for an AB. If that's what gets the people going, that's what I'll, I'll walk up to. You know what gets me going are the reviews. And we have a few. I would like more. So if you listen, I think it's only Apple that does it. On the podcast app, you can leave a review and they're so fun because they're positive. They're not like tweets that I get sometimes. (laughs) Um, Not that anyone's been negative about the podcast, but in general, tweets that have been negative. But no, the podcast reviews are so fun to read. Um, Maybe I'll start reading them on here if we get some good ones. So Yeah, if you're bored and don't have anything to do right now. (laughs) No, that should be a top priority. Put that on the top of your list. Go and review the podcast. Five stars, just like a good Uber ride. Well, no, be honest. We're not going to force your hand. Yeah, but don't like lower my average. If we're putting out five-star quality stuff, (laughs) then give us five stars. If you think... uh, If it's less than five, don't write, just email me your review. (laughs) Oh, jeez, here we go. Don't taint my average. Taint. It's a weird word. Hmm. Let's do a little (laughs) JTF update. Uh... We're still supporting the Dream Center and their relief efforts. They've shifted their hours a little bit, 12 to 6, but they're still going strong. Uh, Breakfast is no longer provided, but it was their slowest meal. So I think they're still hitting that big target of lunch and dinner, which is so important. And yeah, they're over 600,000 meals. I don't have the exact number, but they're still bringing it. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, They weren't planning on doing this all along. So they had to, uh, kind of shape it a little bit differently. And, and like you said, the, the breakfast was their slowest time. I think lunch is the biggest, uh, couple hours for them. They get the lines are around the block for lunch. So, um, they're still going. I don't know how many days it is now. 65 straight days, maybe something, something like around that. there. They're amazing. They're just, they're remarkable. Yeah. And they have plans to keep this going for a few more weeks, at least, and yeah, it's just, it's been fun to watch and we're proud to be a part of it. We also were proud to be a part of an event at the West LA VA Medical Center last week. Uh, someone reached out to me on social media and he was actually a veteran from Vietnam and he reached out and asked if we wanted to be a part of this event that kind of came together in a big way. I don't think they anticipated it being as big as it was, he just wanted a way to show support for the staff and the people at the VA and wanted us to be a part of it. Obviously knew our love and support for veterans and it turned into something really spectacular. 
I might be wrong, but didn't they just want it to be like a little parade drive by to the doctors and nurses? And, yes. it, and then it ended up being huge. The more and more uh, branches and departments that they reached out to, uh, everyone said yes and everyone showed up. And I in don't know. Masks, in, in their masks. Six feet apart. And they, they were actually uh, yelling at people and enforcing the uh, distancing and, and the masks. And um, they had a amazing flyover uh three helicopters and then the old world war ii planes did about three or four laps so if you were in la last week and uh wondering what those planes were flying around for uh it was that event yeah it was fun to see you know not only the branches of the military but lapd lafd they had a beautiful national anthem and Coast everyone, Guard. yeah everyone just out there showing their support um it was called the salute to heroes and it kind of, I think, gave us the itch to be out and doing events again. Like it, it was incredible, but it made us realize how much we miss interacting with people in the community. It was a little tease, but yeah. we're yeah, it was great. It was it was it was cool to see everyone come together and just support the the people on the front line. And it was actually really cool because it was people on the front line showing up to support other people on the front line. So. Yeah, it was really cool. But yeah, as you mentioned, the masks and the social distancing, I think LA said their target date for reopening, this changes so rapidly. And I guess it's good that it's getting closer and there's a little light at the end of the tunnel. They're saying, I think July 4th is the target date for a, I guess a soft reopening or to have things kind of up and running at that point. I think the the right word is it's fluid, right? Like it's constantly changing and updating and yeah, um, we'll see what happens. I think every day something new comes out, it seems like where. Yeah, there was the initial announcement by Governor Newsom that he didn't see sports happening here this year. And then he kind of backpedaled and said, oh, that's, you know, it would be sooner without fans and all of that. So it's promising. And I think as long as you know, the numbers and everything's done in the right way. I think people are, are welcome to that. I think people are still going to be a little apprehensive about, you know, rejoining the community and, and going out to everything. I think it'll be slow, but I think it's a good sign for the future. Yeah, I think I'm just hopeful every day that I turn on the news that we're getting another piece of good news and, and we're continuing to take steps forward and not not take any steps backwards, so... Yeah, because it's been several months now of just really bad news. And I know you and I have talked about trying to sift through and find positive things. And I don't know. It's such a weird time because everyone, <laughs> everyone obviously is supposed to be wearing your masks and following all of these guidelines. I don't know if you saw the video of the guy in Costco that refused to put on his mask and the Costco manager handled it so well and was like, this is our policy. You need to leave. And this guy was like, I'm not going to put on my mask. And they just take his card away. And I'm like, really people just, it's so simple. And no one wants to wear a mask. They suck. I'm just going to be honest. They're terrible. It's difficult to breathe in them, but it's not that hard to do. And you're obviously not always doing it for yourself, but I feel like we're going to have several months. I feel like it's going to be a very long time of the mask shaming and the people thinking they 
don't need to follow the guidelines. And I don't know, obviously like it's difficult. I know like runners or we go out for a dog walk or go to the park and it's okay. I'm not near anyone. So I get that. But if you're in Costco and you're shoulder to shoulder with people, like just follow the policy. It's not that hard, but I don't know. That video was a little disheartening. And then there was that other woman who was asked to sit a table away at a restaurant and they just asked her politely to move one seat over and she just gets up and coughs all over the guy. It's like, what are you doing? What is wrong with people? I don't know. I think there's going to be, there's got to be compromise and there's got to be a little give and got to be a little take. And, um, but why is that there? And their reaction, if someone's politely asked them to switch tables is, Oh, let me just cough my COVID in someone's face. Like get it together. Yeah. I think everyone's just trying to do what they have to do to, you know, start getting back on their feet and start opening up their businesses and doing what is being asked of them. So they don't get in trouble for it. So, uh, I think, yeah, it's like a, don't shoot the messenger. Like they're just implementing policy from corporate or with the manager or whoever, like don't be mad at your server at a restaurant. Yeah. It's working and, you know, taking those risks, being back in the workplace. And then your react, the cough, that was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. Yeah. That was gross. That was horrific. Pre pre COVID times. If someone did that, I'd be offended. Yes. <laughs> like, it, I'm like, what is happening? I just feel like we're entering that time of where that's going to be a thing for a while. And that's disheartening. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of, a lot of people acting silly out there. I get it. Everyone was cooped up in their house for a long time, but that is no excuse for behaving like a jerk. So <laughs> it's also, it's funny there. There has been some positive, even though well, we've talked about the Nextdoor app. I haven't really gotten my love for the Nextdoor app or my hate for the Nextdoor app, but you kind of witnessed someone in the park last week when you were playing catch doing something pretty cool. And then there was obviously people on Nextdoor that had to complain about it. Yeah, I actually, I kind of told the story on Joe and Oral's podcast. So if we have cross listeners, you're going to hear it again. I went to... uh just keep it short. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the park to play catch with Brandon McDaniel, our strength coach, and uh, I rode my bike over there. And as I turned around the corner, um, I heard music playing. And so I was assuming that, you know, some of the people in the park who were picnicking or doing a workout or, you know, just hanging out with their friends or family brought a little Beats pill. And as I rode by one group, I noticed it wasn't them and I rode by the next group and I noticed it wasn't them and I'm like, where's this music like, coming this from? This Beats pill is very powerful. Yeah, it was just getting louder and louder. I'm like, where is this coming from? It's so like I, Jumanji where yeah, you know you heard the like, game thumping in the dirt and you just couldn't find it. But anyway, so I finally like get into the middle of the park where we normally play catch and I kick my kickstand down on my bike and I look up and I see there's You are this, painting quite the vivid picture of this. I'm channeling my inner Vin, Court. Come on. <laughs> So it was a cotton candy sky, cotton candy sky over Dodger stadium. Um, no. So I, I get off my bike and I, and I look up and I notice underneath this big tree, like in the shade, there's a guy sitting in a chair and he's got like six speakers lined up. And the beauty of this whole thing was when I rode up into the park, he was playing. It's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> so it was beautiful day in the neighborhood, beautiful day in the neighborhood, beautiful day in the neighborhood. There you go. Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I think. I don't, I don't know. know. Who knows? Now anymore. you're confusing me. Yeah. 
<laughs> Anyways, so he was just sitting out there and long story short, he was testing his speakers out because he was having a family event. You found this out on the next door. Of course, app. I found it out on the next door app and because I'm a creep. So he went over and just set it up and it turned out when he started playing his music and I mean, he was playing Star Wars and Mozart and Beethoven and all these different songs. People in the park just stood up and started laughing and smiling and dancing and it kind of you know, felt like a scene right out of a movie. So he just kept playing his music. And uh, there always has to be that one negative Nancy, that one bad apple. That who, Karen. That Karen who, yeah, <laughs> who just goes on the next door app and complains. And, you know, so he he respected her complaint and, or her complaint and he said he wasn't going to play the music. He'll schedule it like once a month. I think he's going to do the last Sunday yeah. of every month. I mean... We ended up seeing him, the, I think it was the next day when we went um, for a walk over there with the dogs. And I, at first I was like, oh my gosh, because he was playing, I think he was playing the Star Wars theme when we walked up yes. and no one seemed to be mad about it. He seemed to be enjoying himself. Some, I think the person next door mentioned the people that live next to the park, um, you know, they might be working from home and to hear hours and hours of his music might not be the greatest thing. I, I think I would welcome music faintly outside if I'm inside working over like a chainsaw, like someone was cutting trees down <laughs> yeah. the other day at 7 a.m. on a Sunday and dogs barking and people screaming. Yeah. I don't know. I think you, you described the next door person as Karen. I would describe her as Carol Baskins. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it was an overwhelming response of people like, please keep playing, like, don't stop playing. But he was like, no, I had one complaint. And I actually respect the heck out of the guy because anyone that was saying they had an issue, he dropped his phone number and was like, pick up the phone. Let's have a phone call. Let's discuss this. And I love that because I think it's so easy to write a comment and be like, you shouldn't be here. And the guy's like, well, call, like, you know, pick up the phone. Maybe I just do one hour and it's like, at this certain time during lunch or whatever, but and he was like, I can move around. Maybe I'll go in a different part of the yeah, park, and it to go won't affect you as much. So he was very open and willing to, you know, just try to make people happy and and not have anyone mad at him. And someone ruined it. I'm I'm so mad. <laughs> you should go in there and comment on next door and tell him you you want to hire him to play at the park. <laughs> but yeah, I think you know, as we talked, finding those little bright spots. And I think that was kind of a bright spot. And I mentioned everything kind of feels like we kind of traveled back in time for some of this and a little more old school, you know, the activities kids are doing and getting outside and, you know, everyone going for walks with their family. And I think it kind of brought back that, you know, nostalgic feel and yeah, I didn't have a problem with it, but. Courtney brought back spring cleaning for me. Oh boy. We've been cleaning. You've been conmarine. I actually am so proud of you. Your socks are conmarine. They're folded. Do you fold them in thirds or you fold them in half? Or you don't want to give away your secret. Thirds. Thirds. Courtney thirds. has me watching YouTube videos of conmarine on how to fold my socks and underwear. It's, if you guys are not familiar at. with the Japanese art of folding, I challenge you to go on YouTube and you will change your life. I should do a quick little video tour of our closet in our drawers and show everyone guys she took a picture of my underwear and sock drawer and started sending it to her friends it was so cute what but how great did you feel today when you went to pull out a pair of underwear and they were just perfectly folded i f i did feel great but i didn't i felt violated when you sent pictures of my I mean, I didn't, sock and underwear drawer to 
your friends. I mean, I don't think you have like alarming negatives. There's a line. There's a line. (laughs) I sent it to my close friends. Okay. Yeah, the Marie Kondo way is treating your garments with respect and keeping them happy and having them last longer and the way that she likes to fold them standing up on end and saving space and it's a beautiful thing. It does save a lot of space. I think when we get back into everyday life and you're packing for trips or you're getting ready in the morning for your day, I think you're going to thank me and Marie Kondo. I'm going to have the neatest or most organized suitcase until Alex grabs it and chucks it on the plane. <laughs> I think it'll stay put because we also got packing cubes, which that's true. I yeah, recently right. discovered before packing all cubes this are happened. Huge. So yeah, I think it's a good way to stay busy, a productive way. I think we'll all feel a little more calm. Hopefully, we can keep it up when life turns back to normal. I think it's a good way to stay busy. I think you prefer other ways to stay busy, like our watching of the last dance oh yeah (laughs) given the choice would you rather fold your underwear or plop on the couch and watch some mj watch mj and this is a sensitive subject here guys because it's over and courtney did not want it to be over i waited a whole day to watch it because i wasn't ready and even when we watched episode nine i was like let's go to bed (laughs) let's save this it was a fight we we were i wanted to watch 10 i wanted to roll right through it she didn't want to watch it she wanted to Stretch it out as long as possible. He keeps telling me they have more footage and we're going to get more episodes. I, but no. I don't, I don't know. I, it, it was, it was over when it was over. And I think there may be extra footage. Obviously there's probably tons of footage, but the story was going to be over. Can you imagine the outtakes? There's got to be so many like <laughs> bloopers and. I think we saw some with the iPad and MJ and his reactions. Well, yeah. And look what that did to the internet. Yeah, we have MJ memes for a lifetime. Anything (laughs) that happens in the rest of my life, you can describe it with an MJ emotion. I I think MJ's entire goal in this documentary was to completely wash out the MJ crying meme. (laughs) Because there's so many new memes now that are going to be used. Like that was like the meme. Like that was the MJ meme. And now there's so many that it's just kind of like, watered down yeah there's a whole cornucopia of mj (laughs) memes out there it did so well i think it said six million people watched it live i think on espn and then another three million per episode yeah three million plus did the on-demand thing i know we watched it a day later so i think we might we heard the numbers we might have been not even been counted because we recorded it and then watched it in dvr i don't know maybe it counts the i don't know how the nielsen ratings work but and then uh, internationally, 24 million people tuned in. So that's amazing. People outside of the United States wanting to learn the story of MJ and getting to be a part of that whole phenomenon was, that's cool to hear. Well, you saw at the end, they talked about, um, was it, it was the commissioner, I think, talked about how uh, before MJ, I think basketball was in like 60 countries or 80 countries or something. And then after, by the end of NBA's career, it was in like 160 countries. So yeah. he had a huge effect uh, worldwide. His brand is known everywhere. It's not just it's not just here domestically. Yeah, absolutely. And we have episode nine to thank for the introduction of the original Karen, the Pacers fan in the crowd that was yelling. That's <laughs> where you were going with the Karen. Okay, got it. Oh, I, oh I yeah, because I, that I previously mentioned the Karens. Yeah. She was, I think, the original Karen yelling and 
it's funny because obviously I'm from Indiana. I have to claim this woman as one of my own, which is fine. And she was a beautiful human. I love her passion. And I was trying to kind of make out some of the things she was saying. She was a little spitfire in that mullet cut. Sleeveless polo, <laughs> she was rocking. What court's not telling you is if she was in Chicago courtside for one of those games, she would have been that girl in Bulls gear yelling at the Jazz I players. saw a little bit of myself in that, Karen. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, it started off talking about the Eastern Conference Finals, the whole Larry Bird, that exit in the tunnel. Yeah. It, it's kind of crazy how like that culture is where you just after a game and, and you saw it throughout the whole series, like after a game, you know, MJ's in one room waiting to do media and then players from the other team are kind of like walking out walking past them like, oh, see you tomorrow, whatever. MJ's playing golf with guys from the other teams, you know, before a big series, like the whole culture was just crazy for me to even think about. Like, yeah, I can't imagine you getting together playing cards with some of the guys from the other team. Obviously when you guys played against the Mets in the playoffs, you have a ton of friends over there, but it was so different. And I think I even remember texting some of the wives being like, okay, I love you, but I don't like you this week. So like we didn't, it's not like we went to dinner with them or we went and hung out with them, which obviously, you know, we wouldn't want to do if we're in New York otherwise, but it's just totally different. And so to see that, I don't know, friendly competition kind of thing, but then they were able to turn it on on the court and they were not friends on the court was, yeah, it was just crazy to see. I think thinking back, there's one, there's one stadium we play in where every time we're exiting, we like kind of cross paths and that's when we're in Washington, DC playing the nationals because we're on the far end and we have to walk all the way around that tunnel and that's right in front of their clubhouse. So as we're like going to get on our buses, like that's their exit. And there have been multiple games where we're walking out, uh, whether we won um, or lost, you know, and we run into those guys, especially when guys like Dozier and Howie Kendrick and, and those guys are around and you see them after the game and kind of talk to them. That's like the closest thing I can compare to. Yeah, I think I remember, was it 2016? It was like Jason Worth walked by yeah, and was like, yeah. good luck, guys. Like, yeah. go get him. Yeah, but even after you know, they beat the Pacers, that little, <laughs> little meetup with Larry Bird and his choice words. And he's like, enjoy your golf game, expletive, expletive, yeah, expletive. And, and it was just like, da it was like friendly daggers at each other. It was great. He's my Indiana, another Indiana person. Obviously he's from French Lick, Indiana, which is a real place. It <laughs> sounds very suggestive. He was, I think my first celebrity I ever met. How'd that go? <laughs> So my parents, I think a good majority of our vacations growing up, they were never plane vacations. It was always drive. They loved a good timeshare presentation and free trip. I think a lot of that's rubbed off on me. I go to the casino and pick up my free, you know, trips and cruises and prizes and all that. Skillets. <laughs> I did get a skillet from Morongo and I'm not afraid of it, but we used to go to all these presentations and they'd give you a gas card. And I think one time we got a TV and all these things. And one of the timeshare uh, prizes, I guess, was a trip to French Lick. So we went to this resort in French Lick and you I like saying French Lick, don't you? <laughs> just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> I think I was four. 
I want to say four. And we came across Larry Bird. They were showing us some of the properties and he was at the golf course up front. And so he was saying hello to everyone. He wasn't excited to do this appearance. And I was asking, I was actually talking to my mom about this last night. And I was just like, like kind of refresh my memory because I know we met him and I can remember standing there, but obviously I was super young and I guess he shook hands with my dad and shook hands with my brother and he just seemed like he didn't want to be there. But now I, I mean, seeing you in your situation, you're obviously so gracious and you're patient. And when you have your appearances, you're obviously super interactive, but I can kind of see if Larry Bird was next to a golf course and was posted up and was supposed to meet all these timeshare people that let's be honest, my parents were never buying a timeshare and he just had to say hello to everyone. I feel like maybe he was being tugged to want to go play golf or get out of there. And so I get it. So it wasn't the best interaction, but I still remember meeting him and my brother still loves him. And obviously, you know, we're all big fans of his, but I think I have a little bit more of a perspective on the fan interaction, but I can see how, I mean, this happened, you know, almost 30 years ago and my mom still remembers him not being super excited. So you do realize like the impact and how this stays with people years and years after you meet someone. Yeah. It's something that definitely is at least in the back of my mind all the time is that, you know, this is his French lick. No, not French lick, but you know, when you're, when you're coming across fans and when you're meeting people, um, you know, a lot of times that's maybe, or could be their one time to meet a major league baseball player. And so, you know, you try to keep that in mind and, and also understand that there are other responsibilities and obligations that you have to do as well. So, uh, it, it's tough. It's, it's hard to walk away, but sometimes, you know, you have other obligations like playing a big, a baseball game. You got to get you a Gus. We need Gus. We Gus need was a man. Gus let, that's what you need. It is difficult. And it's one of those where you want to stay forever or you're out to dinner. And I mean, we have been in the middle of a dinner for Valentine's day, like mid, I actually remember two years ago, in Scottsdale, mid cheers of our champagne, and someone someone taps you on the shoulder. I don't want to interrupt your beautiful toast you have going here, but can I get a quick photo? And it's all that's always the best phrase. I don't want to interrupt. Yeah, but you are. If I can give you one piece of advice when you're approaching <laughs> someone that you're nervous about approaching, just don't say, "Hey, I hate to interrupt you," but just just go up and say, "Hey, what's going on? Do you mind, you know, if I get a picture or an autograph?" It always yeah. just makes it's me just laugh. funny. Yeah, it's just funny when you say, "I hate to interrupt, but I'm going to do it anyway." It was like, <laughs> like right before our little clink of our glasses, yeah. and I'm like, "Well, wait," and then I just sit there. It's fine. Like I, I get it. You get nervous. Like it's 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 nervous. You, you don't. Yeah, know and what you don't know how long your window or is, or you don't know. Yeah. yeah, so I get it, and I get not knowing what to say and all that. It always just makes me laugh, and we, then they always look at me and they're it. like, "I'm so sorry," and I'm like, "It's fine." <laughs> But yeah, it, it is funny thinking about those interactions. But yeah, Gus, oh, Gus was such a treasure of this documentary. And it made me think about that because obviously Gus was, if you guys haven't watched or you, you aren't going to watch, who are you? But Gus was Michael's, uh, I would say his main kind of security guard friend. Yeah, his right-hand man. Yeah, I think after he broke his um, foot, yep. he... Um, early in his career yeah he said Gus kind of he befriended him then and he would kind of walk him out to his car and make yeah. sure you know keep everyone in he check made, because he made sure he got in and out okay because he was on crutches and in a boot and 
Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was a former narcotics officer. He was, I think they kind of insinuated he was pretty big badass with yeah. Chicago police. And so him and Gus, you know, formed this bond and he trusted him. And after Michael's father passed away, Gus kind of became that father figure for him. And you could see they had such a special bond. You would see him, you know, sometimes during the game, he's not even talking to his teammates. He would look to Gus and, you know, say something to him. And so you could just see how great that relationship was. But I mean, on your scale of, you know, people coming up to you or all that, I can't even imagine what Michael went through. And I know he mentioned in previous episodes, you know, kind of just hanging out in his hotel room. And, you know, the second he walks outside, it just is this complete storm. And so to have a gust just leading the charge and making sure you're taken care of and because you don't want to be that person when you have to leave an event or you have to leave an area to you don't want to be that guy and so when you have Gus that's like we got to move on you know he's that person that you know holds you to those time slots especially events where um let's say it's at what's the fan fan appreciation but what is it before the season fan fest. fan fest so you have like your time slots and you have to leave and you don't want to leave but you have that person that kind of is able to move you along from place to place and be a little bit of a regulator but I thought their relationship was really sweet and what his wife talked about how he would you know call him in the middle of the night and Gus was there for him and um you formed such close relationships with some of the staff at you know I know with the Mets like right when we first met and I went out there the security Dom, Dom oh I met Dom and I I trust Dom with my life he was the yeah. best and he was always looking out for us and you really do get so close to some of these people and you Al Garcia. Yeah. You, you, I mean, I wouldn't say you put your life in their hand. They're just, you know, that they have your back mm -hmm. and you really do get close to them and they become family because you spend, you know, 12 hours a day at the field and they're always there. And so that was special to see their relationship play out. Yeah, definitely. And him getting the game ball after game seven. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> he was so proud. Yeah. Gus was you know, he was a man of very few words. It just like, just his presence alone, I think kind of like, Comforted. it seemed like it settled Michael yeah. down. So, uh, he didn't have to say a whole lot. He didn't have to, you know, have big conversations. He just, you know, knowing that he was there. And I think he even said it, um, when he came, when Gus finally came back, he was like, man, we've been messing around losing all these games because you ain't here, Gus. Right. Like, so if there was probably truth to that. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. He said it was something, you know, he was always there for me and we never lied to each other. So yeah. I think he, they had that, that really special bond. Oh, Gus, what a man. And John Michael Wozniak, the other security guard that was always there with the bleach blonde mullet playing the, you, we first saw him when they were playing quarters. He kind of became one of his other staples alongside of him as well. His whole security team. It was interesting is, you know, there's, has been some, kind of negative pushback from some of his teammates about what kind of teammate Michael was. And it was interesting in the whole documentary that it seemed like his security guys, at least in the locker room, were more of his teammates with that locker room banter and, and you know, gambling and playing quarters and, and whatnot than his actual teammates were. I thought that part was, was interesting, you know, and obviously he's trying to protect from being around media and whatnot, but... I was surprised at how little time he spent in the locker room with 
the other guys, or at least that's the way they made it seem. Yeah, they definitely made it seem that way. I think it definitely showed if you were in his inner circle, you were special to him and he took care of you and uh, there was a closeness. But yeah, I think they showed a lot of post game with his teammates and, you know, after they won and them hanging out and bantering and a lot of like on the court stuff, but he had that room. And I think we talked about, we don't, was that a training room or like his off, like one of the offices of someone? Yeah, I'm assuming it was like a, a traveling secretary type office. Uh, you know, that was where the tickets were always distributed. If you remember watching the documentary, he was always handing out like yeah. the game tickets there. So I, I'm assuming it was some kind sort of, of his like, little, like traveling secretary where he room. would hang out or and office. calm down. He's kept his suit on a ridiculous amount of time, I will say. Yeah. I'm a person that the second I walk in the door, the pants come off. I put other pants on, but <laughs> usually elastic band and cotton. But oh, whoa. I can't wear jeans in the house. I can't I can't imagine wearing a suit when I come home from an event if we're dressed up. I'm right upstairs and changing into my comfies and coming back downstairs. So I admire their I guess it was a different time, but him sitting there in a suit for so long. Yeah, like you, they showed him all the time, like laying on the training room table, like Scottie Pippen's getting his back worked on and MJ's taking a nap in his suit on the table. And you're like, wait, what's going on? Um, <laughs> but the other thing that I thought was weird about talking about attire is like when they went to their morning shoot arounds, they were like in full workout practice gear mm -hmm. like from the hotel yeah. which i thought was strange like when like in all your gear at the arena already like don't you I, yeah. I don't know i don't this is these are i guess are questions that i would love to ask a basketball guy at some point because you imagine they're doing some form of media during their shoot around or no I, yeah the media is definitely there so i guess because now you guys travel like if you travel and you're dressed up i know last year you guys experimented with the sweatsuit life yeah and it was great but yeah, you'd think if you want to look polished from the hotel to the stadium, you arena, arena, stadium, arena, different sport, you would want to keep that same look. But yeah, I don't know. I definitely noticed that too. But I feel like we're, let's jump around. We're jumping around. Did you feel like you were kind of drunk watching this documentary? What was like we're 98? We're not jumping around as much <laughs> as the documentary. I know. Around. I tried to collect my thoughts for this and kind of group it, but it's hard to not be all over the place. There's just so much happening. So we can go and talk about the food poisoning, the flu game, flu. game five against the jazz, the fluid poisoning, <laughs> the pizza poisoning, five guys. I read it a, wasn't a burger restaurant. Apparently it was a pizza poisoning. So I looked a little into this. And it was Pizza Hut. And the guy that claims he was the one that made the pizza. So he was, it was obviously in Salt Lake City. And they said this order came in from the Marriott. And the guys that worked at the Pizza Hut that night all perked up and said, oh man, that's where the Bulls are staying. I wonder if this pizza is for one of the players. Eh, sounds kind of fake. I don't know. I guess if maybe they took over the whole hotel and it was kind of a frenzy maybe I don't know might have been a slow night and they just were like oh I wonder if this pizza is for MJ the guy actually said in the back of my mind I wonder if this pizza is for one of the players I wonder if it's for Michael hindsight I guess and he said he was I think from Chicago or a Bulls fan and no one else was and he said I'm taking this order no one else is touching this pizza and he made the large pepperoni pizza by himself and boxed it up and went on the delivery because he didn't want anyone to mess with it. 
He claims it was just him and one other guy that did the delivery. He said he cruised past security in the hotel lobby because he said there were police and everyone and he had the delivery and he walked right through and he got up to the floor and it just was like you walked into a wall of cigar smoke and he gets to the room and his trainer, Tim Grover, answers the door and he says he sees Michael in the background give a nod. He's like, oh my gosh, it's Michael's pizza. He actually said when he was walking through the hallway, one of the teammates walked by and was like, oh, that's Michael's pizza. I won't touch that or something like that's for Michael. It all sounds so mm. ridiculous. And he claims there weren't five guys that delivered it. He said, I, you know, five people didn't work that shift at Pizza Hut that night, which I can believe that 11 o'clock at night. That seems weird. That five people, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe you call your friends and you're like, True. we're bringing a pizza to the Marriott. I don't know if security would have let five guys walk by with a pizza in the lobby, but who knows? Yeah, if they, they did, did if they did, they shouldn't be security anymore. Yeah. And I don't, they claimed then, I don't know, someone, I don't know who it was, claimed that Michael actually spit on the pizza and was like, if you guys don't want to eat this, like I'll eat it and like spit on it so he could eat it and no one else would touch it. Who Seems a little that? strange. I don't know if it was the trainer or someone else in the room was like, Michael claims he spit on it or someone overheard it and said he spit on it because no one else would eat it. And then a few hours later, he got sick. I find it strange that he was the only one that ate the pizza, too. Like, Well, that's what he said, because Tim said, I have a bad feeling about this pizza because of the guys, like, you know, peeping in the room and snickering. And obviously, you're in. I have these thoughts, too. Like, when we're traveling for the playoffs, I'm always oh, yeah. like, oh, man, what if someone in the kitchen back there just really hates you, always Justin? A, always a fear. Yeah. when I remember saying that when we were in Boston. I was like, oh, man. You know, is this good? And obviously you're, you know, you're eating at, I don't guess it doesn't really matter, but you're eating at restaurants and you're not going into some random place where you could risk food poisoning regardless. I honestly eat so much fast food my entire life and I am knocking on wood, never had food poisoning. <laughs> so I can't imagine what that felt like, but yeah, I don't know. There's all, it's always in the back of my mind that that's going to happen. <laughs> But yeah, he, he pushed through. I think someone mentioned everyone thought he was hungover. They said he went out gambling that night and was hungover. I, I mean, he would go out gambling a lot and stay out. And I think Michael knew how to push through a hangover. Well, I, I think that his MO was that, you know, he did anything to win, always wanted to win, always put himself in the best position to try to win so it just doesn't make sense to me that he would make up a food poisoning or a flu when he still had a great game and won. Like, he's yeah, I not think the difference would be if he lost and that was his excuse for a poor performance because even people made the excuse or said that he made the excuse of the Father's Day game was why he was doing poorly or before Father's Day and then he blew it out of the water on Father's Day and they said, oh, he used that as an excuse and blah, blah, blah. But this game even if he never even mentioned that he didn't feel well or whatever, it would still be an incredible performance. And yeah. so I think it's different if you say, oh. just doesn't make sense. Oh, Michael, why'd you have a, a tough game tonight? Oh, well, I'm actually battling food poisoning. I think that that would have been different. We're talking about the guy that said he was only bringing one suit on the road because it wasn't going to take two games to win. He, he, You know what I mean? Like, that's just not the type of guy he was. Yeah. He did make up some things, but I don't think he made up this. To, to gain an advantage. Yeah. Definitely. To motivate him. 
Oh, man. Well, let's bounce right into some Rodzilla. Oh, geez. (laughs) Now, he didn't need an excuse because he, so Dennis Rodman off the court did did Dennis. He always said, like, Phil, let me be Dennis, and I go do my thing, and da-da-da-da-da, and when I showed up, I showed up to play, and he was Defensive Player of the Year, and no one really questioned his work ethic, but it is, it's so 90s, it's so great that he missed practice to go on WWE and fight alongside Hulk Hogan. (laughs) It's, it's so good. I think that it was kind of overlooked what Phil said to the media. I think the important thing was when the media asked him about missing practice and whether he was excused to miss practice or not. And then they said, Oh, is, is Rodman a distraction to the team? And his response was, no, he's not a distraction to the team. He's, only a distraction for you guys because you guys are making it a distraction. And I think that's huge. Like a lot of stuff happens and then the media kind of, you know, blows it up into something bigger than it actually is. And then that's when, you know, more stuff happens in a clubhouse. And when you have a, a tight group and you know who guys are and you trust guys like it, you know, would they have liked to see them at practice? Yeah, sure. But they knew when push came to shove, when the bell rang, you know, he was going to do everything he could to win. And he went out and, had a ridiculous game and had all the rebounds and threw up a three pointer. And I mean, so he, he showed up and MJ knew he was going to show up. Phil knew he was going to show up. They just had to let him be himself to get the best out of him. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, a reporter could plant a seed or, you know, twist that narrative to make it seem like there is, you know, some discourse happening within the clubhouse and Phil stood his ground and, you know, said, you know, we'll handle it how we handle it. Yep. And yeah, it was, I feel like, again, this team without the existence of social media, it's so crazy to think about all these different situations and what the reaction would have been if a player on a team during the finals just went off to WWE or just went off to Vegas and did this. I think it's, crazy i mean obviously it was a frenzy and we all remember it when it happened but i just think it would have been so different if this was current times well think about it this way like when when scotty's back was jammed up and he was on the bench getting worked on in the training room and i think that's when mj was like sleeping on the table in a suit and the tv was on and the news was talking about scotty's tight back and phil walked in and he turned off the the TV. And that was like the only conversation about Scotty's tight back. But Mm -hmm. if it was happening now, like guys would open their phone and it would be everywhere. Oh, Pippen's playing through a tight back. Pippen's on a problem. He's questionable for tonight, all this stuff. So like they had to cut off one outlet. Like nowadays there's millions of outlets Mm -hmm. of information that's just out there, like getting to people. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I did notice that too. And you were like, why do they even have that? on in there i feel like you guys always have what did you guys have well they had one tv in there we have like 40 tvs in our clubhouse locker room training room weight room i mean there's tvs everywhere what's normally on other sports or uh usually like other baseball games other sports if there's golf on there's always golf being played if there's a basketball game there's basketball um obviously in football season football's always on so uh, it's it's a variety because there's multiple TVs around, so you know. But it's definitely not 
the news. It's more things to, I guess, other games, you know, it could be kind of viewed as like, you know, researching or seeing other guys and then the football or other sports to kind of, you know, take your mind off things and have those Mental moments break. of downtime. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So do we just go right in? I, I feel like I'm, I'm dreading going to the end of this when they win, because I know it's coming to the end in 98. No, you you want to keep talking about this forever. I want to talk about Dennis Rodman forever. <laughs> I found myself getting nervous, and I obviously knew the final score uh, of game six in the championship, and I still found myself getting so nervous. And I feel like that always happens. I, I always think something's going to be different. I don't know if you guys experience this when you watch The Lion King, but every time I watch it, I keep thinking – what happens to Mufasa is not going to happen. And so I always think something might change. And so during this documentary, I was so nervous about them winning. And I don't know why, because obviously we knew the outcome. Do you ever, you had this the other night when you were watching Kobe's last game, his 60 point game, I was like freaking out watching it and they were losing by like I don't know, what was it, 11 at one point with yeah. like five minutes to go. And I'm like, oh my God, how are they going I knew they were going to win. How I'm are like, they how, how are they going to win? How are they going to come back? And well, he, how is Kobe going to win? Because that was. Yeah. And I mean, he only Kobe. had, he only had like 47 points with like only three minutes left. And I'm like, how in the world is he going to get to 60? And I, I was nervous. I was like literally pacing around the house yeah, and you like were yelling every time he made a basket. It was great. <laughs> oh, it was so good. And the last shot and oh man. I know. And who do we, t we were talking about the ending of the game and the dunk. Um, who had the final dunk? Why am I blanking on this? In the Laker game? No, in the Bulls game. Oh yeah. After uh, the last shot. I was like, I don't know if I'm dunking and hanging on the rim. If I'm. Was it Longley? No. No, he like missed that layup earlier. I think that's why he's on your Harper? mind. I don't remember who it was. I don't remember, but I was like, really? You're going to do a dunk and hang on the rim after that? I mean, I guess you're winning and it's not like the Michael show, but. It was a dagger. It was the nail in the coffin. I didn't like it. Oh, man. And then after they win, you get a Leonardo DiCaprio cameo just hanging out in the hallway. Yeah, supposedly there's some backstory on that, too. I didn't read into it much, but like. I think he saw him waiting and pulled him out because Titanic came out in 97. He was obviously a big name, but that was just all these nineties things. Just the nineties were so great. And then after they won, you see Carl Malone get on the bus when they're leaving the Delta center. That was crazy. Again, like, mind blowing. That, yeah. Again, that sportsmanship. And I mean, it's one thing to pass in the hallway and say, good game. Or on yada, the field yada. or on the court, but to walk. And he was in the very back of the bus. Yes. So to walk all the way back there, past all the guys, and just say congrats. That was huge. Yeah. And I again, mean, things that we didn't see. Whereas I feel like if this was the world of social media and someone would have seen that or posted or said, oh, yep. Carl Mullen just went on this. But I don't think it was a thing at the time. I well, don't the remember seeing it. The camera did see it. They just waited 20 years to Yeah, it. but it wasn't <laughs> obviously it the media seeing it. But that was huge. And Huge then, tip of the cap to Carl for doing that. That was... Carl I, with a K. Man, that was... I couldn't believe that. Carl was another source of his uh, fight in this when they named him MVP. He was, yeah. Yeah. 
All those... He didn't say he wasn't deserving of it, though. He just said, oh, you think this okay. guy's the MVP? I'm going to play better than him. Yeah. Which is great. Like, I think that's how everyone should should think. And then we go back to the hotel room. And I know when Michael mentioned earlier in the episode, he's got a piano in his room. I thought he was joking. Yeah. He actually fully had a piano in his room. I think everyone thought he was joking. <laughs> just the cigar and the piano. And I don't know if that was media in his room or what was happening. There were so many cameras. Yeah. And yeah, video photographers and then people were asking, are you coming back next year? And he's like, come on, man. Like we just won. Yeah, let like enjoy let it. us enjoy this in night. The moment. And, yeah. And well, again, again, like even that scene and it's just a small like snapshot is like, you would think he would go back and like be with his teammates for winning another championship. And I don't recall seeing it teammate in that small clip of it i mean it it was just a small snapshot and i'm sure the night went on a lot longer than that and he probably did get there but like yeah maybe he went back for 30 minutes and then everyone got kicked out and then they did whatever but that was just nutty to see and then they obviously go into him talking about you know going for seven and he described it as maddening that they weren't able to try for seven that there it was just not an option well yeah you have like I don't know. We talked about it before and, and I mentioned what that had to be like for someone to leave at, I mean, obviously he mentioned he was exhausted and, you know, really had to push himself, but I mean, seemingly still at his peak. He definitely and was. The other guys, you know, ready to go and fit. And it just seems like you broke up the band and well, Reinsdorf broke up the band and Krauss broke up the band and, I don't know. I just think the... It's that what if, and you can tell he, he's not over it. I mean, he said he's not over it, but you can tell that that's something in the back of his mind. But then you think, okay, what if they went for it and they didn't win? And then you end on that note. It's just weird to think you go out. Like how many great names in sports were able to retire after winning a championship of that caliber? Obviously, there's great athletes that win and then they hang it up and that's what they wanted to do. But how many hall of famers win and then walk away yeah i think i mean that's a good point like it i guess the silver lining is he got to retire a bowl like on a championship and if they would have came back and went for the seventh they might not have won one well but i think the regret he retired a bowl and then and then came back i know but we all know what happened. We, know, we know what happened but i think the regret that all those guys probably have is not getting the opportunity to win a fourth in a row. Like you got to give them that chance. And you know how many teams get to win four championships in a row. And I'm not saying they would have done it and who knows what would happen. And Scotty was in a contract situation and Dennis was, you know, trying to be a WWE superstar and you know, all kinds he of was things. A WWE superstar. <laughs> all kinds of things were going on obviously, but just to deny them the opportunity to win a four championship is, is crazy. I agree. And then we all, I think you and I were completely quiet for the ending scene with Jordan, just looking outside Pearl jam, present tense playing right on with that nineties theme. That was magical. Smoking a cigar. Again, if I was a crier, I would have been weeping. That was a lot. I actually read that that wasn't his house. He didn't want to film in his house. So it has a, I guess it doesn't really take it away that him in his man, but it was this whole theme of 
you know, him kind of being this isolated person that keeps such a close circle and then the documentary just ends and he's just by himself looking out and I don't know, it just got my wheels turning, just thinking about everything. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, and, and I don't have the attachments that you have to it. Obviously I'm a fan of Michael Jordan and think he's the best ever, but it was, uh, it was sad to see it end. For sure. Like I loved every minute of it. And even if we weren't in these COVID times where there's no sports to watch, I know that my appreciation of this documentary would have been the same. Like it was, it was amazing to watch and, and get a, a look behind the curtains. Yeah. Just so much to reflect on. I'm not ready to put it to bed. I mean, we got a bonus episode of Tiger King, so maybe we'll get more from this. Should I ask Jordan for a, a cameo? <laughs> <laughs> you could actually write a letter to him if you want. Oh yeah. This might bring us uh <laughs> This might bring us into our social media segment, your turn. Yeah. I asked everyone if they have ever well, actually I asked everyone if they've ever wrote a celebrity and Ed, thank you Ed on Twitter for correcting my grammar and questioning my degree from UCLA in a very kind way, not kind way, Ed, that was rude. Um, written a celebrity. Sorry about that. I asked everyone if they have ever written a celebrity and who it was and what the response was. Justin and I are starting to dig into uh, his fan mail uh, that goes to the stadium. And it's a, it's fun for me and him to go through and read all the letters. And it just got me thinking about, you know, writing letters to celebrities growing up and you know, what the response was and what that felt like. And Justin, have you ever written, wrote, written? Written. Yeah, I, we, uh, when I was a kid in 1987, so I was, I mean, I was not even four years old yet. So I was. Were you writing these? <laughs> I definitely was not you writing these letters. You just stamped your hand yeah. in paint and just my, pressed your hand on the. My dad, my dad wrote the letters and we sent them out to all 28 it was 28 teams at the time, uh, asking for a team ball. That's a big ask. And we got one ball back. But that's a big ask to get a team. Like it was signed by everyone? Signed by the whole team. Who sent it? The World Series champions of 87, the Minnesota Twins, and Kirby Puckett. And it was. You would think that would be the last team that would send a team signed ball back. Because you think about how, like, you guys get one of those when you play like when you through the playoffs like your team signs them and you get one to keep so for them to send out one to well i think they i don't know the timing of it like we might have sent these out in like spring training or in the beginning of the season so it wasn't oh. like they won the world series and then they sent it i i think we got it during the season oh, and okay. then they went on to win the world series so that's still cool though but i think that's the only time in my life i'm like i was probably ecstatic to go one for 28 your aunt said she sent a letter to the Dodgers in 1988 after obviously they won the World Series and they didn't re-sign Steve Sachs. She said she was fuming and wrote the letter and told them they better not lose oral as well. <laughs> and she, she said she got a letter typed in blue ink a week later. That turnaround time wow. is unbelievable. And it was signed by Peter O'Malley. I don't know what oh, it said. Wow. I need to ask her what it said. If yeah. Like we will 
try to keep oral. Sorry well, at least <laughs> at least we still to this day have oral. We have oral. <laughs> so <laughs> we didn't lose oral. Oh man. Someone said I wrote fan letters to Sean Cassidy, Steve Sachs, Ricky Schroeder, heard nothing back. I wrote, Ricky Schroeder. Yeah. I have yeah. a Ricky Schroeder story. We'll save that one. Yeah. Uh, they wrote Nicole Eggert as a kid, got a handwritten postcard. AJ McLean from the Backstreet Boys when he was entering rehab. She said, I never heard back, but I realized he had more important things going on. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. very understanding. I get it. Uh, someone said my mom made a ceramic wind chime for Steve Garvey back in the day, and he sent me a personal note on a photo postcard. That sounds like Steve. Yeah, that's Steve. That's for sure, Steve. Like done in calligraphy uh, on like yeah, a beautiful postcard. He probably, yeah, he probably sprayed like a dash, of, a dash of his cologne on there or something. and Yeah, tied a sweater around the envelope. You don't just become a heartthrob by not going the extra mile, you know? Maybe that's why his forearms were so big. Because he signed he wrote so, many, <laughs> so, many so many letters, yeah. Oh, man. The guy's got some huge forearms. It's unbelievable. He's like Popeye. Oh, we've talked about this. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, no response. Someone wrote Say by the Bone Full House and got some back from the cast. Uh, I invited Justin Bieber to my birthday party when I was seven and got no reply. The fact that someone was seven when Bieber was becoming a name makes me feel ancient, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. These are good. Simple plan. Got an autograph back. How about a 99, the guy that asked the Lakers team to come to his birthday party? <laughs> but he got a signed photo back. <laughs> they, they couldn't make it to the party, but they sent him. You, that was nice. You get a lot of those, and it's always kind of funny because they'll say, can you come to my birthday party on Sunday, June 8th? And it'll always be like at noon. And I don't, I mean, bless their hearts, but I don't think you can say, hey, Dave, I might need to be a little late to the game on Sunday. I'm going to Trevor's fourth birthday. On top of the fact that I'm probably in like Philadelphia. At the but time maybe they something. just want a signed <laughs> photo back. So, Well, then ask for the signed photo. Yeah, buddy. you got to tell us what you need. I love that. Jimmy Walker from Good Times. He got a photo of him holding two sticks of dynamite. <laughs> he was part of a class project. He was the only one that got a response. That one's good. Wow. Mary Kate and Ashley, no response. Spice Rude. Girls in the fourth grade got a signed photo. Court, Kurt Warner in the fourth grade. Kurt, hey, he's a stand-up guy. Got an autograph card back. That's yeah. beautiful. Man of the people. <laughs> Someone wrote Paris Hilton when she was in the slammer and received a generic letter and a photo back. I think that's what's good about ours and we have so much fun is reading the letters you get a lot of drawings from kids a lot of guys in the military that write you and it is a two man two woman one woman one man operation <laughs> you're right <laughs> i gotta i know who i am and we open the letters we read the letters you obviously see what the request is because sometimes it's from someone and they want it to someone else and i get a little paper clip and a post-it note, put it on there, write who we're making it out where as if I'm, I should throw my signature on there. Why not? And we'll go through and do it, mail it out. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you're so appreciative of all of them, but if you get one back, maybe two seasons later, I hope it's just as special. Yeah, there is a, there is a Slower turnaround time than Peter O'Malley. There with, is a large, with your aunt. large box that we're working on that could potentially be from like two, three. There's seasons, more at so. the stadium, but we will get it. 
yeah. out. It's not not going to happen. Patience. It's going to be a great surprise when three years later you get a signed card or picture back. Yeah. Some people said, oh, I sent one to your house. And I, I mean, that's news to me. I haven't seen anything. So definitely send that up to the stadium. Yeah, use the stadium. Everything gets to the stadium. Yeah. I don't know what address they're using, but it could be my apartment from when I was in college. I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell you right now. 1000 they found it Vin on the internet. Scully Avenue. Los Angeles, California, 90012. That was beautiful. Thank yeah. you for doing that. Yeah. Someone said they wrote Mickey Mouse and got an autograph photo back. Oh, boy. And sorry. Oh, boy. <laughs> Welcome to Disneyland. Sandra, Sandra Block sent a signed 8x10. Demi Lovato signed photo back. All these people. I'm doing all the legwork for you. If you want to write some of these people, I'm telling you if they write back or not. So you're welcome. Another Steve Garvey signed postcard in 81. What a man. I actually, I wrote a few celebrities back in the day. Who, you might ask? <laughs> First, I wrote Matt LeBlanc of Friends fame. I had a book, uh, it was a fan, like a, I guess like a super fan book about all the actors on Friends and fun facts about them and, you know, learning that Malablanc was a motorbike enthusiast and obviously the important things to know about him. And I wrote him a letter because he had a movie that was coming out called Ed. <laughs> I actually think I wrote it after I saw the movie. What a movie. I don't know if you guys have seen Ed, but it is about a man that gets sent to the minor leagues and he's just down and out and feeling discouraged. And he's even more discouraged because he finds out that his third baseman is a chimp that used to be the mascot for the team. And they found out he can catch and hit and throw. And so no, he, he can swing. He can swing. So he got, oh, I get it. <laughs> but he could catch. Well, he could catch. He could throw very fast. He would do like a backflip and, and the catch, catch line drive. Yeah, so it was crazy. He was, yeah, he was a treasure, and he was named the third baseman. Can you imagine losing your third baseman job to Ed Sullivan? I think it was Ed Sullivan, the chimp. If he's better than me, then he's better. You'll than me. You'll bow out. Yeah, it's gonna help us win. That's I'm, admirable I'm, of you. I'm down. So I remember writing a letter to Matt LeBlanc because I had a huge crush on him. And sorry, Justin. And I got a response back, I want to say four years later, when I completely forgot about Matt LeBlanc even existing. And it was a signed headshot. It might have been printed. I don't know if it's actually signed. But years later, I got one back. And he must have really enjoyed my kind words about Ed. How did that make you feel? Surprised? Uh, I was surprised because I wasn't expecting it. I think I gave up on it. But maybe he was on your same timeline of returning fan mail. Yeah, you never know. You don't know how much he was getting from that Ed movie. You know? Well, <laughs> clearly not a lot because I think I read that the budget was $32 million and the movie only made four. But I was a part of that. Got you to write a letter. Yeah, I remember writing the letter and putting little baseballs and bananas around the border in colored pencil and telling him how great he was. I also, my friend Kate reminded me of when we, I don't, when the internet first came out, and we are in, oh, we're, what were we? Elementary school. I want to say fifth grade. When the internet was a thing, maybe, I don't know. I want to say fifth grade. And you could start to look up things on the internet. We always had an hour in the computer lab 
where we could go on there. And we started to look up celebrities to write to. And who did we write to? <laughs> it wasn't Mary-Kate and Ashley or the Spice Girls. We wrote to John Goodman and Hector Elizondo. Hector Elizondo, if you don't remember, Princess Diaries, Pretty Woman. He was Barney Thompson, the manager of the region Beverly Wilshire that helped guide Vivian Ward. Yeah. yeah. And both responded. So got the 8 by 10 from John Goodman, a beautiful black and white headshot of him. And it just said, best wishes, John Goodman. <laughs> and Did so... He, so he actually wrote that though. I, I think so. It seemed like it was, it was Sharpie. It was beautiful. But yeah, so if you're interested in writing Hector Elizondo, he will return it back or John Goodman. So that, if that gives you any little glimpse into how weird of a kid I was growing up, Matt LeBlanc, John Goodman, and Hector Elizondo was my trio. So you were three for three and no one ever denied you a response. That's true. Wow. But I think I wasn't going after the Brad Pitts of the world. I went after... to John Goodman and... No, I, I obviously love John Goodman on Roseanne and... He's been in everything. I mean, John Goodman's John Goodman. Hector Lozano, I was a huge Pretty Woman fan. I think maybe my mom had me watch that movie earlier than I should have been exposed to a movie about prostitution, <laughs> but a beautiful rags to riches love story. And I I loved him. He was the best in that movie. He wasn't judgmental. Yeah, he helped he guide her. He was Cupid pretty much. So I got a response from the Cupid of the 90s and I'm not mad about it. So... I think I wasn't flooding, you know, the Hanson brothers and all of this where I knew I was going to get this generic letter back. And I went after the people that I respect, the little guys. And not that they're not big names, but maybe they weren't getting a lot of requests. But So the moral of the story is? I don't know the moral of the story. I just wanted to talk about re- this. Reach out to the little guys. <laughs> No, I mean, I'm sure like the getting a response from these big names means something as well. And But you're writing the 99 Lakers. The Lakers are not sending that letter back. I don't want to ruin anyone's they spirits. They send a picture back. Yes, but it's you guys. They're not coming to a birthday party. No, but response. you guys sign how many photos and then there's someone in an office that gets these requests and pops in that photo. I don't think they go into the clubhouse and say, hey guys, you just got invited to Trevor's fourth birthday. Can you make it? And you guys say, oh no, why don't we send a photo? I think there's someone that's doing it. I didn't mean to pull back the Wizard of Oz curtain and ruin the magic, <laughs> but I think when you write to people directly, there's True. a better chance you might get something a little more personal. You might get a uh, yeah, Steve yeah, Garvey yeah. postcard yeah. from a wind chime. What about a what about a Jim Carrey? Oh, I almost forgot about that one. That one was good. Someone on Twitter sent a photo of it. Yeah, there's proof. There's evidence. And uh, it was basically they reached out to Jim Carrey with a fan letter in 2002. And they wrote that he was really, really funny. And he actually sent this headshot back and he signed it. Spank you very much, Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> and they posted the photo of it on Twitter. It's great. I it, think what a great piece of memorabilia to have in your house. I love that. I'm going to have to post that. I'm going to have to ask my mom if she's come across my John Goodman. I think Kate has the John Goodman, my friend. And then I have the Hector Elizondo. Oh, that's how you guys split it up? Yeah. Well, we lived across the street from one another. So I think if she wanted... 
if I wanted to borrow the John Goodman for a day to put on my bulletin board, she would have let me. But that was a fun one. I liked this one. I'm loving this this segment and this way Your to turn is, get responses. Is good. I it like really it. adds the flavor. We need to start adding like names and handles to people, I think, and just yeah. putting them out there. Calling them out. Yeah. Do you guys have a suggestion for a question for an upcoming your turn maybe yeah, send, send it my it way in. send it in they were quarantine themed for the beginning and now we're kind of getting trying, a little trying creative. to transition yeah but yeah i think that'll do it for us yes thanks for listening as always i think i'm gonna let your new 2020 walk-up song carry us out of this bad boy what do, do you, you say want, do you want me to do it live <laughs> <laughs> i think we could i'm just gonna play this one now we okay. didn't warm up the vocals all right. No, no red leather, yellow right. leather. I'm always ready. I'm on my toes. <laughs> All right. Like thanks. a. Thanks, mind. guys. We'll talk to you.